0: section 16 of what is property this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org what is property an inquiry into the principle of right and of government by pierre joseph proudhon translated by benjamin r tucker chapter four part four that property is impossible appendix to the fifth proposition one certain reformers and even the most of the publicists who though belonging to no particular school busy themselves in devising means for the amelioration of the lot of the poorer and more numerous class lay much stress nowadays on a better organization of labor the disciples of fourier especially never stop shouting on to the phalanx declaiming in the same breath against the foolishness and absurdity of other sects they consist of half a dozen incomparable geniuses who have discovered that five and four make nine take two away and nine remain and to weep over the blindness of france who refuses to believe in this astonishing arithmetic fourier having to multiply whole number by a fraction never failed they say to obtain a product much greater than the multiplicant he affirmed that under his system of harmony the mercury would solidify when the temperature was above zero he might as well have said that Harmonians would make burning ice i once asked an intelligent phalansterian what he thought of such physics i do not know he answered but i believe and yet the same man disbelieved in the doctrine of the real presence in fact the fourierists proclaim themselves on the one hand defenders of property of the right of increase which they have thus formulated to each according to his capital his labour and his skill on the other hand they wish the workingman to come into the enjoyment of all the wealth of society That is abridging the expression into the undivided enjoyment of his own product is not this like saying to the working-man labor you shall have three francs per day you shall live on fifty-five sous you shall give the rest to the proprietor and thus you will consume three francs if the above speech is not an exact epitome of charles fourier's system i will subscribe to the whole phalansterian folly with a pen dipped in my own blood of what use is it to reform industry and agriculture of what use indeed to labor at all if property is maintained and labor can never meet its expenses without the abolition of property the organization of labor is neither more nor less than a delusion if production should be quadrupled a thing which does not seem to me at all impossible it would be labor lost if the additional product was not consumed it would be of no value and the proprietor would decline to receive it as interest if it was consumed all the disadvantages of property would reappear it must be confessed that the theory of passionate attraction is greatly at fault in this particular and that fourier when he tried to harmonize the passion for property a bad passion whatever he may say to the contrary blocked his own chariot wheels the absurdity of the phalansterian economy is so cross that many people suspect fourier in spite of all the homage paid by him to proprietors of having been a secret enemy of property this opinion might be supported by plausible arguments still it is not mine charlatanism was too important a part for such a man to play and sincerity too insignificant a one i would rather think fourier ignorant which is generally admitted than disingenuous as for his disciples before they can formulate any opinion of their own they must declare once for all unequivocally and with no mental reservation whether they mean to maintain property or not and what do you mean by the famous motto, to each according to his capital, his labor, and his skill? 2. But, some half-converted proprietor will observe, would it not be possible, by suppressing the bank, incomes, farm-rent, house-rent, usury of all kinds, and finally property itself, to proportion products to capacities? That was St. Simon's idea. It was also Fourier's. It is the desire of human conscience, and no decent person would dare maintain that a minister of state should live no better than a peasant. O Medas! Your ears are long. What? Will you never understand that disparity of wages and the right of increase are one and the same? Certainly. St. Thomas, Fourier, and their respective flocks committed a serious blunder in attempting to unite. The one? Inequality and communism. The other? Inequality and property. But you? a man of figures a man of economy you who know by heart your logarithmic tables how can you make so stupid a mistake does not political economy itself teach you that the product of a man whatever be his individual capacity is never worth more than his labor and that a man's labor is worth no more than his consumption you remind me of that great constitution framer poor bineo ferrera the seys of the nineteenth century who dividing the citizens of a nation into twelve classes or if you prefer into twelve grades assigned to some a salary of one hundred thousand francs each to others eighty thousand then twenty-five thousand fifteen thousand ten thousand etc down to one thousand five hundred and one thousand francs the minimum allowance of a citizen pinero loved distinctions and could no more conceive of a state without great dignitaries than of an army without drum majors. and as he also loved or thought he loved liberty equality and fraternity he combined the good and the evil of our old society in an eclectic philosophy which he embodied in a constitution excellent pinero liberty even to passive submission fraternity even to identity of language equality even in a jury-box and a guillotine such was his ideal republic unappreciated genius of whom the present century was unworthy but whom the future will avenge listen proprietor inequality of talent exists in fact in right it is not admissible it goes for nothing it is not thought of one newton in a century is equal to thirty millions of men the psychologist admires the rarity of so fine a genius the legislator sees only the rarity of the function now rarity of function bestows no privilege upon the functionary and that for several reasons all equally forcible first rarity of genius was not in the greatest design A motive to compel society to go down on its knees before the man of superior talents but a providential means for the performance of all functions to the greatest advantage of all second talent is a creation of society rather than a gift of nature it is an accumulated capital of which the receiver is only the guardian without society without the education and powerful assistance which it furnishes finest nature would be inferior to the most ordinary capacities in the very respect in which it ought to shine the more extensive a man's knowledge the more luxuriant his imagination the more versatile his talent the more costly his education been the more remarkable and numerous were his teachers and his models and the greater is his debt the farm produces from the time that he leaves his cradle until he enters his grave the fruits of art and science are late and scarce frequently the tree dies before the fruit ripens society in cultivating talent makes a sacrifice to hope third capacities have no common standard of comparison the conditions of development being equal inequality of talent is simply speciality of talent fourth inequality of wages like the right of increase is economically impossible take the most favourable case that where each labourer has furnished his maximum production that there may be an equitable distribution of products. The share of each must be equal to the quotient of the total production divided by the number of labourers. This done, what remains wherewith to pay higher wages? Nothing, whatever. Would it be said that all labourers should be taxed? But then their consumption will not be equal to their production, the wages will not pay for the productive service, they will not be able to repurchase the product, and we shall once more be afflicted with all the calamities of property i do not speak of the injustice done to the defrauded laborer of rivalry of excited ambition and burning hatred these may all be important considerations but they do not hit the point on the one hand each laborer's task being short and easy and the means for its successful accomplishment being equal in all cases how could there be large and small producers on the other hand all functions being equal either on account of the actual equivalence of talents and capacities on account of social cooperation, how could a functionary claim a salary proportional to the worth of his genius but what do i say in equality wages are always proportional to talents what is the economical meaning of wages the reproductive consumption of the labourer the very act by which the labour produces constitutes then this consumption exactly equal to his production of which we are speaking when the astronomer produces observations poet verses or the seven experiments they consume instruments books travels etc etc now if society supplies this consumption what more can the astronomer the seventh or the poet demand we must conclude then that inequality and only inequality saint simon's adage to each according to his capacity to each capacity according to its results finds its full and complete application three the great evil the horrible and ever-present evil arising from property is that while property exists population however reduced is and always must be over-abundant complaints have been made in all ages of the excess of population in all ages property has been embarrassed by the presence of pauperism not perceiving that it caused it further nothing is more curious than the diversity of the plans proposed for its extermination their atrocity is equalled only by their absurdity the ancients made a practice of abandoning their children the wholesale and retail slaughter of slaves civil and foreign wars also lent their aid in rome where property held full sway these three means were employed so effectively and for so long a time that finally the empire found itself without inhabitants when the barbarians arrived nobody was to be found the fields were no longer cultivated grass grew in the streets of the italian cities in china from time immemorial upon famine alone has devolved the task of sweeping away the poor the people living almost exclusively upon rice if an accident causes the crop to fail in a few days hunger kills the inhabitants by myriads and the chinese historian records in the annals of the empire that in such a year of such an emperor twenty thirty fifty one hundred thousand inhabitants died of starvation then they bury the dead and recommence the production of children until another famine leads to the same result such appears to have been in all ages the confucian economy i borrow the following facts from a modern economist since the fourteenth and fifteenth centuries england has been preyed upon by pauperism at that time beggars were punished by law nevertheless she had not one-fourth as large a population as she has today edward prohibits alms-giving on pain of imprisonment the laws of 1547 and 1656 prescribe a like punishment in case of a second offence elizabeth orders that each parish shall support its own paupers but what is a pauper charles the second decides that an undisputed residence of forty days constitutes a settlement in a parish but if disputed the newcomer is forced to pack off james the second modifies this decision which is again modified by william in the midst of trials reports and modifications pauperism increases and the working man languishes and dies The poor tax in seventeen seventy four exceeded forty millions of francs; in seventeen eighty three, four, and five it averaged fifty three millions. eighteen thirteen, more than a hundred and eighty seven millions five hundred thousand francs. eighteen sixteen, two hundred and fifty millions. In eighteen seventeen it is estimated at three hundred and seventeen millions. In eighteen twenty one, the number of paupers enrolled upon the parish lists was estimated at four millions, nearly one third of the population. France, in fifteen forty four, Francis I establishes a compulsory tax in behalf of the poor. In fifteen sixty six and fifteen eighty six, the same principle is applied to the whole kingdom. Under Louis the Fourteenth, forty thousand paupers infested the capital, as many in proportion as today. Mendicity was punished severely. In seventeen forty, Parliament of Paris re-establishes within its own jurisdiction the compulsory assessment. The constituent assembly frightened at the extent of the evil and the difficulty of curing it ordains the status quo the convention proclaims assistance of the poor to be national debt its law remains unexecuted napoleon also wishes to remedy the evil his idea is imprisonment in that way said he i shall protect the rich from the importunity of beggars and shall relieve them of the disgusting side of abject poverty o oh, wonderful man from these facts which i might multiply still further two things are to be inferred the one that pauperism is independent of population the other that all attempts hitherto made at its extermination have proved abortive catholicism founds hospitals and convents and commands charity that is she encourages mendicity that is the extent of her insights as voiced by her priests the secular power of christian nations now orders taxes on the rich now banishment and imprisonment for the poor that is on the one hand violation of the right of property and on the other civil death and murder the modern economists thinking that pauperism is caused by the excess of population exclusively have devoted themselves to devising checks some wish to prohibit the poor from marrying thus having denounced religious celibacy they propose compulsory celibacy which will inevitably become licentious celibacy others do not approve this method which they deem too violent and which they say deprives the poor man of the only pleasure which he knows in this world they would simply recommend him to be prudent this opinion is held by malthus sismondi Say, dros du chatel etc but if the poor are to be prudent the rich must set the example why should the marriageable age of the latter be fixed at eighteen years while that of the former is postponed until thirty again they would do well to explain clearly what they mean by this matrimonial prudence which they so urgently recommend to the laborer for here equivocation is especially dangerous and i suspect that the economists are not thoroughly understood some half-enlightened are alarmed when they hear prudence in marriage advised they fear that the divine injunction increase and multiply is to be set aside to be logical they must anathematize bachelors j dro political economy m is too honest a man and too little of a theologian to see why these casuists are so alarmed and this chaste ignorance is the very best evidence of the purity of his heart religion never has encouraged early marriages and the kind of prudence which it condemns is that described in this latin sentence from Sanchez anlicet obmetum liberorum semen extra vas ejicere testu de tracy seems to dislike prudence in either form he says i confess that i no more share the desire of the moralists to diminish and restrain our pleasures than that of the politicians to increase our procreative powers and accelerate reproduction he believes then that we should love and marry when and as we please widespread misery results from love and marriage but this our philosopher does not heed true to the dogma of the necessity of evil to evil he looks for the solution of all problems he adds The multiplication of men continuing in all classes of society, the surplus members of the upper classes are supported by the lower classes, and those of the latter are destroyed by poverty. This philosophy has few avowed partisans, but it has over every other the indisputable advantage of demonstration in practice. Not long since France heard it advocated in the Chamber of Deputies in the course of the discussion on the electoral reform, poverty will always exist that is the political aphorism with which the minister of state ground to powder the arguments of M. arago poverty will always exist yes so long as property does the fourierists inventors of so many marvellous contrivances could not in this field belie their character they invented four methods of checking increase of population at will first the vigour of women On this point they are contradicted by experience for although vigorous women may be less likely to conceive nevertheless they give birth to the healthiest children so that the advantage of maternity is on their side second integral exercise or the equal development of all the physical powers if this development is equal how is the power of reproduction lessened third the gastronomic regime or in plain english the philosophy of the belly the fourierists say that abundance of rich food renders women sterile, just as too much sap, while enhancing the beauty of flowers, destroys their reproductive capacity. But the analogy is a false one. Flowers become sterile when the stamens, or male organs, are changed into petals, as may be seen by inspecting a rose, and then through excessive dampness the pollen loses its fertilizing power. Then, in order that the gastronomic regime may produce the results claimed for it, not only must the females be fattened but the males must be rendered impotent fourth fenerogamic morality or public concubinage i know not why the phalansterians use greek words to convey ideas which can be expressed so clearly in french this method like the preceding one is copied from civilized customs fourier himself cites the example of prostitutes as a proof now we have no certain knowledge yet of the facts which he quotes so states Parent du chatelet in his work on prostitution from all the information which i have been able to gather i find that all the remedies for pauperism and fecundity sanctioned by universal practice philosophy political economy and the latest reformers may be summed up in the following list masturbation onanism footnote, hoc inter se differunt onanismus et manuspratio nempe quod hec a solitario a duobus reciprocatur masulo silicet et femina porro fedam hanc onanismi minerum ludentes uxoria mariti habent nunc omnigam sovissimam End of footnote sodomy tribadi polyandry footnote polyandri plurality of husbands End of footnote prostitution castration continence abortion and infanticide footnote infanticide has just been publicly advocated in england in a pamphlet written by a disciple of malthus he proposes an annual massacre of the innocents in all families containing more children than the law allows and he asks that a magnificent cemetery adorned with statues groves fountains and flowers be set apart as a special burying-place for the superfluous children mothers would resort to this delightful spot dream of the happiness of these little angels and would return quite comforted to give birth to others to be buried in their turn And a footnote: all these methods being proved inadequate there remains proscription unfortunately proscription while decreasing the number of the poor increases their proportion if the interest charged by the proprietor upon the product is equal only to one twentieth of the product by law it is equal to one twentieth of the capital it follows that twenty labourers produce for nineteen only because there is one among them called proprietor who eats a share of two suppose that the twentieth labourer the poor one is killed the production of the following year will be diminished one twentieth consequently the nineteenth will have to yield his portion and perish for since it is not one twentieth of the production of nineteen which must be paid to the proprietor but one twentieth of the product of twenty see third proposition Each surviving laborer must sacrifice one-twentieth plus one-four-hundredth of his product. In other words, one man out of nineteen must be killed. Therefore, while property exists, the more poor people we kill, the more they are born in proportion. Malthus, who proved so clearly that population increases in geometrical progression while production increases only in arithmetical progression, did not notice this pauperizing power of property. Had he observed this? he would have understood that before trying to check reproduction the right of increase should be abolished because wherever that right is tolerated there are always too many inhabitants whatever the extent or fertility of the soul it will be asked perhaps how i would maintain a balance between population and production for sooner or later this problem must be solved the reader will pardon me if i do not give my method here for in my opinion it is useless to say a thing unless we prove it now. To explain my method fully would require no less than a formal treatise it is the thing so simple and so vast so common and so extraordinary so true and so misunderstood so sacred and so profane that to name it without developing and proving it would serve only to excite contempt in incredulity one thing at a time let us establish equality and this remedy will soon appear for truths follow each other just as crimes and errors do End of section 16, chapter 4, part 4. Recorded by Julia Niedermayer.